Welcome to the Gatecast. Presented by Alan and Mike. Lucy, I'm home. I am not Lucy. Oh, you're right. We'll just upload a computer virus into the mothership. I was going to do my living room like this. Well, so my recommendation is that anyone attempting to leave the mountain should be shot on sight. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Season 6 wrap-up. As per usual, we haven't bothered sticking a number on this, but we do have a special guest. Would you care to introduce yourself, special guest? Hi, I'm Colin from England, and I host the Trek News and Views podcast on Trek FM. Cool. Thank you, Colin. And that should have given Mike sufficient time to prepare uh, something. Which I never do, so I don't know really why you expect me to. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Season 6 wrap-up. This is going to be fun. Or not. (laughs) As the case may be. Yeah. So, do you want to do a round-robin style, or...? I don't know. We can just play it by ear. Yes, wouldn't be the first time we've done that. Or the second. Or the third. <laughs> first time you were here? Oh, yes. Please don't die in there. <laughs> yeah, it's a bitch to edit, yeah. <laughs> the foot when it hits the floor is never good. <laughs> first time we recorded together, you know, we were totally intending to do one style of podcast and mm-hmm. it changed halfway through saying, we can't do it like this. <laughs> Let's just watch the episode and talk about it. <laughs> On the subject of episodes and talking... Jack? Daniel? Are you you? Yeah, you. What? I like the yellow ones. Never mind. We got a few messages in regards to the season six favourite episodes. Only a few. Dan LaRock emailed us. Hey guys, just wanted to throw in my favourite episode of season six. Has to be full circle. We get to see Daniel and Jonas and they have some cool eyes together as Jonas is using Daniel's equipment. (laughs) We learn of the lost city on that tablet. But the best part of this episode has got to be when... Hurrah, spelling question mark, <laughs> is all like, surrender or die. And Jack says, what? Then he's forced to repeat himself. Oh, my God, I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> O'Neill is the man. Another good O'Neill line is, well, spank me, Rosie. Hilarious. Anyway, guys, thanks for the podcast, and we'll see you on Twitter. Dan. Yeah, you Dan. Dinner bar. Yeah, or Diner bar. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, to be honest with you. In fact, a name could be Diner or Diner. And I'm making a rape mess of this. <laughs> Voted The Abyss as their favourite episode of season six. And finally, oh, God, another one. <laughs> Tanisheva Cat, who has a, a section on Atlantis RU, the Russian Stargate portal. Voted for the other guys. So thanks, everybody, for your little feedback and for voting, making this our most successful poll so far. Come try ya! Season 6 opener, Redemption, part 1. And that was my phone whistling at me. Okay, Redemption takes up after the season 5 finale, which for the life of me I can't remember what it was now, which probably I should have kept my mouth shut. Daniel is no more, oh. and the Russians are actually pressuring SGC to include a Russian guy on SG1. As you'd expect, Jack isn't very happy about it. Mm-hmm. Anyone think Jack didn't like the Russians? There aren't many people Jack does like, to be honest with you. No, that's true. But then again, he spent his whole career, you know, either trying to kill him or being shot at by them. So why should he? Jack likes Amanda. She hasn't tried to kill him. <laughs> she has she put, assaulted him. Put him in situations which <laughs> could have led to him being, which in fact have led to him being killed. Okay, not directly then. 
No, well, she's female, you know. She, she's like a vampire of the white court. She uses uh, cat's paws. More subtle means. Or Jack's paws. Anyone who doesn't read Dresden Files doesn't have a clue what I'm talking about. So, redemption. We have a potentially explosive Stargate and a completely separate... Would you call it a B arc or would you call it an additional A arc? This is a double A arc. Tilk going back to uh, see his missus and his son. Well, obviously, as we find out, we don't actually get to see his missus because she's under a shroud. But I think there's enough importance to the Jaffa plotline to make it an A-Arc. Thoughts on this episode, Colin? Well, I like the I like the character episode. So this is nice because you get to see Tilk's family. You get to see Braytac. I like Braytac. I think Braytac's a brilliant character. And you get a slight introduction to Jonas as Daniel's replacement. And you also get to see the newly built 302 for the first time. So there's lots of firsts in this episode, which is all good. Yeah, it's not a too bad season opener, when all things considered. We get to actually watch Tilt get beat up a little. Yeah, which is beating Tilt up is no mean feat at any time, so... Yeah, I mean, we did let him beat him up. Yeah. <laughs> not quite the point. Yes. Hit me again, son. Yeah. Let's not forget a certain Dr. McKay, who makes uh, an appearance. Woohoo, McKay. Yes, you one character I'd like to be. <laughs> Even if I do end up being something. Yeah, the main thrust of this episode, though, is really... Uh, <laughs> is the attack on the SGC by Anubis. Ah, uh, yes. Now we see the Jaffa being warned, Tilk and Co being actually warned by Jaffa of the impending attack. Unfortunately, it's a bit too late. Yes, Tilk, for once, being on the receiving end of vital information well after it's actually useful. Yes, <laughs> I've been in camp all day, but oh yeah, there was something I meant to tell you. Yeah, maybe 15 <laughs> hours ago. Do we actually know if the... Because uh, I'm assuming that's Chulak. No, it didn't, is it? Is that? didn't think it was Chulak. Yeah, it's something... Yeah, because they were refugees, weren't they? Yeah. One wonders, it's something that's never actually mentioned in the show, is one would have to imagine there's no way that all of these planets have a 24-hour day-night cycle. Well, you can assume it's pretty close because uh, the worlds were settled. So you pick a world that's pretty much optimum for the species you're going to put there. And most of those came from Earth at some point. You give several hundred years, they could adapt to a 30-day, 30-hour or a 16-hour or whatever. Yes, but the SG-1 wouldn't visit them then, would they? (laughs) Could have been a Goldilocks thing. Yes. Exactly. I am familiar with the Goldilocks song. I recently liked a group on Facebook called I Effing Love Science. A little technical information about the episode. It was written by Robert C. Cooper, as are all the kind of pivotal episodes, directed by Martin Wood, and first heard in uh, the US June 7th, 2002. Notable guest stars, Tony Amendola and David Hewlett. Not bad guest stars. I recently saw Tony Amendola in Once Upon a Time. And then I saw yeah. Robert Carlyle as well. I thought, oh my God, it's a roll call of SG-1 people. <laughs> and then I saw a Little Red Riding Hood and forgot about everybody else. <laughs> well, she has got good legs. I'll give her that. I don't think I've got that far. I watched about four episodes and I thought, this is a bit twee. She's uh, the waitress in the diner. Oh, Scarlet. Oh. Yeah, with the shorts. She's got a sort of not... Actually, no, I, I was thinking Snow White. Snow White's got a bit of... <laughs> summer Glow vibe going on. Okay. Anyway, that's off topic. Yeah, come on, we're known for that. Shall we wander on to episode two? Go on then. Oh, actually, no, no, no. Did Redemption Part 1 get any votes, and if so, how many? Oh, we're doing it that way, are we? I thought we did it that way last time. I can't remember what we did last time. I usually can. <laughs> Don't forget the Star Trek reference on all in it. Shush, quiet, you. <laughs> Colonel Chekhov. Yeah, of course, Gary Chalk. Yeah, Colonel <laughs> Chekhov. The only Russian name known to uh, Vancouver. <laughs> <Just> writers. <laughs> <laughs> Redemption Part 1 did not get any votes at all. Oh, so that leaves it, I suppose, 22 out of 22. Or is it joint 22? 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, that's too much work to figure out. <laughs> it didn't get any votes. Thank you. That was number 14. It's a little high-pitched. That's more of a cackly evil laugh. Right, episode two. Redemption part two. Robert C. Cooper and Martin Wood again. Aired the week after, June the 14th. And picks up where uh, Anubis is zapping the SGC with the huge amounts of radiation and it's building up so uh, it will eventually blow the gate up and take the mountain with it. Without actually giving anyone the SGC a lethal dose. Good that, It's it? obviously non-ionising radiation. He said wiggling his physics qualifications sideways. <laughs> show up. Hey, show something off, you know. This is radio, I can't show anything else off. <laughs> Don't want to come up with some techno babble to explain why no one was actually getting radiated. It wasn't really radiation as such, was it? It was an energy feedback loop that was slowly building up in the capacitors of the gate. I mean, he used the radiations to project his image. And, of course, we had Dan Shea spraying the gate with liquid nitrogen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or dry ice, but liquid nitrogen sounds better than... Yeah. It was supposed to be liquid nitrogen, even if it was dry ice. <laughs> I can't imagine the SAG would allow Dan Shea to handle actual liquid nitrogen. Well, he's a fully qualified stunt coordinator. I imagine that he's quite capable of handling dry liquid nitrogen. Anyway, this is an episode where we get McKay's brilliant grasp of novel ideas, and which sound good on paper, but risk blowing up everything around him. He has this notion that he sends some energy back through the gate and to destroy whatever is actually uh, creating the energy on the other side of the gate. So they get a giant EMP weapon in the space of about 10 minutes. Remarkable how fast it can build stuff, so have it shipped in. He probably had it in his garage. May have been one of his science fair projects, after, you know, before he built the nuclear bomb as a lad. Yeah, Rodney McKay, the uh, Martin of Stargate. Nope, I don't know that. Simpsons reference. Oh, right, okay then. This station actually walks. It's powering this room right now. <laughs> I watched Simpsons last night and Bart got his first look at grown-up lady boobs. He spent the next five minutes of the episode just with this gormless expression on his face. <laughs> and everywhere he looked, he saw breasts. <laughs> he should whip the top off and he says, they're just like my dad's. Oh, God. <laughs> I cracked up. I can't stop that. <laughs> oh, no. That's moobs. Ah, yes, moobs. Right, that's slightly off topic for this episode. Yeah. So, a nice shiny shot to the European. I still think the X302 looks like a rip-off of the F119. Still, It's a bit more bendy. Yeah. Too bendy, in fact. We've seen it taxiing out, and you think, come on, you need a bit more clearance than that. <laughs> you know, a couple of inches between the wheels and the wingtip, that makes tricky landing. It's not so much tricky landing, it's more cornering. Like, <laughs> oh, I've gone round the taxiway. Oh, dear, I've scraped off several hundred thousand dollars worth of wingtip. Whoops. <laughs> The other part of the story, of course, is uh, the Jaffa attack on Anubis's weapon, led by Braytak, Ryak and Tilk, who really put on a, a display. Yeah. The- Not gate down, they ring down and uh, start a battle with Anubis's Jaffa. Mm-hmm. And Ryak can actually fly. Yeah, it's remarkable. Either that or he's being, tell you, he's a delinquent. He's been going around joyriding in Death Gliders. Quite possible. One notable guest star, who at the time wasn't that notable, Aaron Douglas. The chief from Battlestar played a Jaffa commander. And let's, he put weight on for Battlestar. Well, he was, he was a bit younger as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he's chubbier in uh, BSG. Jump back to the uh, SGC. They realise that they, they can't do anything about the gate. It's going to explode. There's nothing they can do. It's going to explode? I don't want to explode. Jonas actually comes up with a, a brilliant idea. He looks up into the heavens of the SGC and says, how did you get the gate in here? And lo and behold, there's a great big elevator, or a winch anyway. Yes. So let's winch it out, slap it on the 302, and Jack volunteers to actually fly it out of the atmosphere and zap it into a hyperspace window. And we get a little bit of tension as uh, it realises he runs out of fuel, he reaches the proper orbit. Mm-hmm. 
and then uh, does an aborted hyperspace jump. And then you get 30 seconds of, come in, Colonel O'Neill. <laughs> Go in, Jack. Did anyone explain how they managed to communicate across uh, intersolar distances instantaneously? Well, they probably realised in that last episode they did Tangent that having 30 seconds, two minutes, two hours gap between communications really wasn't good for an episode of television. <laughs> Realistically speaking, though, I mean, well, Earth to some distance is two and a half minutes. Well, not to worry. Like I say, Jack didn't get very far, did he? He got far enough. Maybe he blew up Pluto. Maybe that's why it's no longer a planet. Well, the gate did, but Jack didn't. He actually didn't get out of the atmosphere. They actually ended up opening up a hyperspace window just in the atmosphere. Jack's getting good at trashing ships. Well, he doesn't have to pay for them. Yeah, to quote Wing Commander 3... Ringing. What happened? I don't know. The moment you were saying about the hyperspace jump and then you were gone. Maybe you jumped into hyperspace. No, you were gone. We were still here. Hmm, weird. Oh, well. Yeah, I was just going to say about anyway about Jonas coming up with a plan to jump into hyperspace inside the atmosphere. Yeah, because that's always a good idea. It's always a good idea, yeah. Open up a hyperspace window inside an atmosphere of a planet. Didn't McKay say there's a fair to middling chance of actually igniting the atmosphere doing that? Sounds like something he would have said. He actually would have ranted it more. Is McKay SG-1 Sheldon? At least in the early episodes. Colin, since Mike doesn't watch Big Bang, I'm not sure he has the reference relevantly. Well, possibly in some ways, except for the fact that Sheldon tends to think about things before he comes out of them. I mean, at one point, McKay says, dump it in the ocean. (laughs) Yeah, because it'll blow the planet up inside the Stargate, but it won't blow the planet up inside an ocean. Redemption Part 2 got five votes. And where does that put it in the poll? Stop asking. <laughs> too technical, Fourth. too technical. Yeah, I've got a bar graph for Christ's sake. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. It came fourth. That's the fourth most popular episode of season six. Fair enough. Come try ya! So, how has your dining experience been lately? Uh, waitress! Waitress! Uh, what did he order? Oh, he has a special... That's what I ordered! I changed my order to the soup! Good move. been like that poor fella, then we'd like to suggest the Sci-Fi Diner podcast for great, tasty, and spicy cuisine. Weekly, we offer up top news, interviews, and have great conversations on what's going on in the world of sci-fi. Make your reservation today at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast.com. Check, please. Want to talk to us about Descent, Colin? Descent. Jonas Queen investigates an abandoned vessel orbiting the Earth, which they find out belongs to Anubis, of all people, and the consciousness of four caused the ship to malfunction, and he's on his way down to the Pacific Ocean, which ties into the last episode when they wanted to dump the Stargate in the ocean. It's a water theme. Yes, wet t-shirt to demand it. Yeah, it's never a bad thing. Did I imply in any way you thought, deed, or uh, consideration that it was a bad thing? It was, a, I don't know, I mean, it was an interesting sort of a episode. If memory serves, uh, and our discussion on it, it seemed a bit slow. It seemed nothing happened for about 20 minutes, and then a huge event happened very quickly, because they realised, oh crap, we're only over time. There's a lot of walking around. I mean, when you've got an attack, you realise there's, well, there's only, technically, there's probably only two corridors on the production set. When you see people just walking around endless corridors, it does tend to drag it out a bit. Mm-hmm. Some beautiful set design, though. We, in the whole scene with the flooding ship that was done on in a water tank, that's really top-notch production. Yeah, that bit was well put together, yeah. Yeah, 
praise again. I mean, this was an episode in which Jonas actually came out looking good because he kind of saved the day and went through a ring transporter with about you know, 100 gallons of water surrounding him. That was a nice effect. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. More memories of the episode are coming back now. He seemed to be able to hold his breath for an unbelievably long time. Well, there's something very different about his people. Okay. This episode was written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully and directed by Peter DeLuise, who actually had a cameo as Lieutenant Dagwood. And if you know, Dagwood was Peter's character in uh, Sequest. Oh, because I thought Dagwood was a cartoon character. And that's maybe where they got the name from for Sequest. Anyway, they rescue Thor from the ship. Thor was embedded in the computer system, so they got an early USB stick. It was about a foot square. <laughs> a bit heavy to hang around the neck, but it worked in exactly the same way. And even though, you know, it's probably one of the better episodes, I've actually quite enjoyed it. I, I like the Ninja Jafar. They were, oh yeah, they were excellent. They were very menacing. I think at the time we mentioned it were a bit like the uh, DS9 episode where they left some Cardassians on, what's the other DS9 station? Terex Nor. Terex Nor, was it? Calling them up into correction there? No, it's Terex Nor. Yeah, and they were in uh, suspended animation until someone came on board. And then we can assume the uh, Jaffa Ninja were probably similar. Ninja Jaffa. Did they have throwing stars? I don't know, but they had swords. <laughs> Oh, hang on, was Terracnor was DS9, weren't it? Well, that's what we were talking about. Yeah, but the other one... <laughs> Has he gone to check? I think so. I don't think it's really relevant. We've got a tweet from Spatterson. Yes, I know, I refuse to read it. Put on your big boy undies, Alan, and record. <laughs> I'm glad to be a source of amusement for you, Michael. Excellent. Was that your best, Mr Burns? No, it was a passable Mr Burns. I'm still not 100%. Empacnor. Impact not, he's back. <laughs> Impact. Stump the Star Trek podcaster. Yeah, well, that's true. The fact that you had to go and refer to notes, Colin, honestly. That's not something I ever do, he says. No, of course not. Putting it's, away it's, his all his sheets. It's, yeah. not, it's not something it's I ever do. Rustles in the background. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Alan never does. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I had a discussion with Colin about this yesterday. He said, uh, I'd like to research, and I'm like, why? Why don't? <laughs> Descent got a single vote. So there's some love for it out there. Well, someone's better than none. Yes. Just looking at the colour coding, and I think whoever it was is from Canada. Okay. Righto, come on, let's get on to the next one. Australia! Frozen. Yep, Frozen, which is Robert C. Cooper again and Martin Wood. A couple of guest stars in this, Dorian Harewood, Ona Grauer and Venus Terzo. One plays an ancient, the body they find in the ice in the Antarctic. Mm-hmm. Very reminiscent of the thing in an episode of the X-Files, I thought. I thought, to be honest with you, the reminiscent of the thing one was the earlier uh, Frozen episode where we got a Mayborn single. Yeah, Watergate. And who was the guest star of that, Colin? <laughs> Pass. <laughs> That's cruel. That's three seasons ago. <laughs> Mariana Sirtis. You see, it's, uh, Colin doesn't recognise her unless there's major cleavage. No, unless she's going around <laughs> in a purple cat suit, I don't know who she is. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, she just... yeah, Let's be honest with you, this is Marion Citrus. This, uh, this would be two-thirds of a purple cat suit. Well, Stargate not being the exploiter of the female form that Star Trek is, they just put her in a great big woolly parka and be done with it. <laughs> oh, not being an exploiter of the female form. <laughs> OK, the one or two exceptions, one or two. Well, there were several pairs of exceptions, and you'll probably cut this out, but as I said to my friend Cassie the other day on Facebook chat, boobs are proof that men can focus on more than one thing at the same time. 
I seem to remember the Stargate movie and all the, when they first found them, they didn't actually wear Afar lot. It was all like raggedy clothes and stuff. Well, to be fair, a lot of people tend to forget the original Showtime Children of the Gods pilot episode. Oh, I don't. I didn't see that until I got the DVDs. Full frontal. Star Trek has never actually done that. I sat down to watch it and I was like, I don't remember this. <laughs> when did this happen? Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Boobs. And the camera's panning down. Stop cameras. No. <laughs> and the camera didn't stop. Well, it did. I pressed pause. <laughs> <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> well, it's a DVD. It's not like you can wear the tape out by pausing and rewinding. Can you wear out a laser? Yeah. There's some smoke coming out the laser from burning in the same spot. <laughs> Yeah, so basically, Frozen, the SGC have got an expedition up in the Antarctic where they found the gate and they're actually looking for any more artefacts. And they uncover the body of a, an ancient who, unfortunately, has the remnants of a disease, probably the plague that's often talked about, which most of the humans now contract. Fortunately for them, what's the character's name? Ayana. Ayana, yeah. She's actually got power to cure these people at the cost of her own health. So, unfortunately, she doesn't survive, and Jack, he doesn't get cured. Nope. So Jack gets put in suspended animation and wandered off with the Selkra. Oh, yeah, the Tokra offering to be the host for one of them, who actually got some uh, strategic information. And Jack's still not happy about it, but it's actually Sam that convinces him to become a host. Yeah, because that works out so well. Well, he's still with us, so it did work out all right. In that respect, yeah, but Jack was, you know, he never really comes to terms with the fact that he had one inside him. Oh, no. It was pretty much forced on him, even though it was saving his life. Yeah. Frozen did not get any votes. Oh, poor Frozen. Poor Frozen. You learn something about the first humans and all in this one. Don't they say it's, wasn't AI and something like a million years old or something? Yeah, some uh, ridiculous figure, which I don't think at the time they actually come to the conclusion that these people were actually from another world. Yeah. And not an actual, an evolutionary, evolutionary step for the Earth. But interesting episode, first season of Atlantis, first pilot episode of Atlantis. They actually a callback to this episode, so that's worth looking out for. Fair enough. I liked Atlantis. We'll get to it. <laughs> I like the opening thing and all, because you see him in the ice cave and, and Neil's in it. They said operations, and it was a good opening. Come try Okay then, up next, Stargate's homage to X-Files in Nightwalkers. Quite a fun episode. As I recall, you weren't looking forward to it, but you seemed to enjoy the recording. I didn't go into it with fond memories. It actually worked out pretty good. I mean, another one by uh, Joseph Mellows and Paul Morley, directed by Peter DeLuise, so you pretty much know what you're going to get. They're going to play it pretty light-hearted. Well, the fact that uh, Jonas gets to play a major role, even though he's not been officially attached to the team. Oh, yeah, he's a member of SG-1. Jack took him on board to screw with the Russians. And then promptly almost keeled over. I think Jack did that as a sign. <laughs> yeah. Subtle hint. <laughs> you do get to see Tolkien his woolly hat, though. Oh, yeah, any excuse to cover up the uh, yeah. emblem. I prefer... I think the fedora suits him better. Woolly hatted Teok looks a bit delinquenty. It's supposed to be Colorado, which is supposed to be hot, isn't it? So wouldn't it be a bit warm for a woolly hat? I don't really know where Stevenson, the town... I don't think they actually told you what state it was in. But they drive there, because they drive to it, didn't they? Must have been the same state. Oh, yeah, but it is a coastal town, because they were building a ship. It had shipyards, so it must be a coastal town. I think Colorado's landlocked. 
Pretty sure it is. Until the big one comes along and we get the peace and quiet <laughs> of Arizona Bay. <laughs> yes. Coastal properties dirt cheap for a couple of days and yeah. <laughs> skyrockets. Shy on a mountain by the sea. Yes. Lex Luthor had the right idea. <laughs> Buy up the desert dirt cheap in New California. Yeah. I'd oh, miss it. Notable guest stars in this episode, Blue Mancuma and Vincent Gale. We also get Michael Eklund, familiar face. As it turned out, like I say, it turned out to be a decent episode. We got uh, Sam in the nice long black trench coat, which actually suited her rather well. And that nice tight jumper. We had a lot of fun with the uh, huge hypodermic needles and symbio implantation. Oh, yes, she got to beat up Jonas. <laughs> <laughs> Jonas complained, did you have to hit me quite that hard? Then she hit him again, yes. <laughs> Nightwalkers was obviously a fallout from the Adrian Conrad story, mm-hmm. who actually bought a, a symbiote off the Russians via Mayborn. We found out that Immutech's company were actually cloning them. So, firstly, most of the town were actually ghouled by night, normal people by day. Ghouled by night? Doesn't that sound like an 80s pop band? It does a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, no votes again. Uh-huh. I thought Nightwalkers might have got one or two votes. I'm quite surprised about that. These things happen. Spatson's replied. Yes, yeah, I know. Well, you could, you know, actually repeat it so it can be included in the podcast. Well, my response was, yes, dear, of course, dear, anything you say, dear. And she replied, poor Alan, I'm so mean. Smiley face. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kevin Batchelder. I'm Wendy Hembrock. And I'm Brent Barrett. And we're the hosts of a new podcast called Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV. Where we discuss sci-fi and genre shows currently on television and some from the past. We're fans just like you. So join us in our water cooler and back porch discussions of your favorite shows. And strangely enough, you can find us online at tuningintosci-fi-tv.com. Be seeing you. Wait a minute. Isn't that what Bester says on Babylon 5? Maybe. I never watched Babylon 5. What? So you're a sci-fi geek who missed one of the best shows ever? Hey, hey, no details, no spoilers. I'm still catching up on DVD myself. Besides, we're not really experts or critics. We kind of think of ourselves more like guides or sci-fi Sherpas. I don't carry anyone's luggage, though. And me either. We're what we like to call the viewer's digest for genre TV. Yes, we're interested in the conversation shows generate. And speaking of sci-fi Sherpas, where would you find one of those? Mm, Craigslist? Oh. See what I have to deal with? Up next is, oh yeah, Abyss. Oh, my favorite gold. This episode has so much, doesn't it? Yeah, we get the return of Michael Shanks, who only had five episodes before he came back again, <laughs> in his casual sweater. I think of it as the Peter Davidson look without the decorative vegetable. Yes. Yeah, but you've got to mind this. He's ascended now, so he's going to look good. You're probably right. He can look exactly how he wants, and so he comes back as himself, just slightly preened, which says a lot about how he views himself. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a residual self-image, like from The Matrix. Yeah, exactly. Ball, Cliff Simon, gets a full episode, even though most of the time we see him one-on-one with Richard Dean Anderson. They never actually acted uh, opposite each other. All the scenes were filmed separately. So you said at the time. Well, believe it or not, maybe some people haven't listened to that episode. And if we didn't repeat ourselves, then this would be a short, bloody episode. <laughs> I was just saying, I remembered, I weren't giving out. The surprising thing is, Bolt, even though he's still one of the system lords, you know, it's all lovey-dovey at the time against Anubis, he actually operating this secret research facility under the noses of the other system lords, dealing with the magnetic fields and anti-gravity technology. Mm-hmm which he puts to good use for his prison cell and his torture device. And the knife. Yeah, constantly torturing and killing Jack and then bringing him back to life by the sarcophagus. And Daniel kind of appears to him, probably knowing Jack is going to die. Mm-hmm. 
because, of course, the Tokra did a runner. Bless him. Yep. He wasn't going to get captured and left Jack to the mercies of Ball. Mm-hmm. Jack knows he's going to die because there's only so many times you can go through the sarcophagus and still retain your sanity and or the person you are, as we've seen in uh, the episode Need. Don't mention that. Too late. Daniel isn't going to help, but he does kind of influence Tilk, Sam and Jonas into discovering where Jack is. How they figured it out is impossible. You think so? Well, yeah, definitely. The prison cell was cold, though, the way they did that. And even the arrows with the gravity is upwards, is downward. I'm not quite sure whose benefit that was for, really. Ours. Yeah, it must be just for the viewers. <laughs> Why can't Jack just walk out? Because the gravity's pointing that way. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I've got it. Jafar guards are not exactly hard for their intelligence. Maybe they need to check the arrows to see if they've accidentally fallen into cell or not. Maybe they've got L&R on the boots as well. <laughs> are you thinking defying gravity? Cliff Simon plays Ball, a South African actor. Does a cracking job. Takes over the mantle of... Uber badass from Apophis. I don't think he's an uber badass. He seems amused by the whole thing. Ball definitely has a sense of sort of wry aside. You know, he seems to regard the entire universe as a joke. Oh, yeah, he's cheerful. Well, not telling jokes, but, you know, witty banter with the uh, victim of his torture. Makes it, which is a bit of a turnaround, considering there's normally Jack with the witty banter. Yeah. Well, he did do it at the start, didn't he? Because when he says, my name is Ball, and Jack says, that's it. <laughs> At that point, Jack was still up for it. But yeah. after We don't really know how many times he actually was killed and brought back to life. Even the most optimistic and cheerful person, you know, that's going to grate on you eventually. Yeah, it's going to wear you down. The nice touch was having him in clothing that showed the damage from previous encounters, the acid burns and the uh, staff weapon blasts. Mm-hmm. Continuity people earned the money that day. Well, maybe the episode was shot in order. Abyss was written by Brad Wright and Martin Wood, directed by Martin Wood. Dorian Harewood makes an appearance as Thorin, the Tok'ra. Mm-hmm. The SGC seemed less than cheerful about this. Yeah, they wanted the mission reports, and he says, well, I'm not going to give them to you. The Tok'ra who uh, took over Jack Canaan, you know, he says, oh, he's dead, forget it. Considering how long they lived, and, you know, you think they'd develop relationship, but they're kind of cold when it comes right down to it. Well, Canaan's not. Jack wouldn't have got in so much trouble. Well, no, while Canaan manipulated Bowl's servant, Shalan, at the end of the day, he left her there. He betrayed her and left her there. It was only after he merged with Jack, got a bit of conscience, and went after her. So, ultimately, Tokra, they may not be gourds, but they're not warm and fuzzy either. I like warm and fuzzy. Well, everyone's got their own agenda at the end of the day. The big news for Abyss, it got 21 votes. Oh, my. Yes. Considering we only got 64 in total, it was the most popular episode of this season. Intriguing. I don't think I voted for it. I did. How many times? 21. Once. A <laughs> <laughs> Shadow play with the excellent... I'm going to burst in with the uh, guest star because anyone who's watched virtually any amount of genre TV should recognise him. The wonderful, uh, alas, sadly, only used once Dean Stockwell. Yeah, damn shame they couldn't find another role for him in maybe in another one of the franchise shows. Because even in Battlestar, he was still knocking it out of the park. Oh, yeah. The slow realisation. I love the build in this episode where you get a gradual sort of realisation that actually he's a little caca. A little. <laughs> There's no snow here, I can assure you that. Aren't you in the frozen north, Colin? No, 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 no. Deep in the safe. Intriguing. Shadow play. Joseph Malosian, Paul Mully again. Directed by Peter Deloise. Gillian Barber. 
Doug Abrams and Joel Sweto as the representatives from Jonas's homeworld of Kelowna. They've come through the Stargate asking for weapons technology, anti-aircraft weaponry and jet engines because the other two nations and their planet have joined forces and they're going to actually kick their arses. And the only thing that the Kelownans have got is, uh, oh, the Quadria bomb. Yeah, what's he? He's a moving furniture. I, you moving I, furniture? No, Colin, what are you doing? <laughs> it's, gone, it's gone awfully quiet. Maybe uh, we missed the thump on what you actually heard was his body being dragged across the ground. Could be it, yeah. <laughs> Shadow Play got one vote. Uh-huh. I like Shadow Play. Can't say I was overjoyed by it, but it was an interesting episode. You know, the actual structure of it was interesting. No, no. Oh, you're back. I'm back. What were you moving furniture for? I put, uh, I've got a drink and I put the drink down and... Uh... As I put the drink down, a table that I put the drink down decided that he didn't want to have the cup on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to do a bit of a balancing act. Okay. Uh, it's all good now. It's all sorted. We figured you'd be murdered and someone was dragging your body across the floor. That's what it sounded like. <laughs> it was the knack with the bomb. That's what it was. I was just um, moving the bomb over to the far side. Come try ya! The Other Guys, a very popular episode. Pretty much an out-and-out humorous episode. Directed by... Martin Wood, written by Damien Kindler. We have John Billingsley, uh-huh. well-known to the Star Trek community. Oh, I say, though, if I say Star Trek, Colin can jump in. Yeah, because there's a bat left on the wall behind him. We were more thinking Enterprise. Enterprise, the TV series or the ship. Well, John Billingsley didn't play the ship. <laughs> no, that was Michelle Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that was funny. Oh, come on, she could have been double-taking. <laughs> I, th- I don't know what you mean, but it sounds friendly, Pure. And Mark's going to be doing a lot of editing after this one, I can tell. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Flux, anyway, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> this was an undercover mission by SG-1 to allow themselves to be captured by the Jaffa of the System Lord Konsu. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was basically so they could actually talk to him because he was a Tok'ra undercover agent. The other guys, two of the scientists that were on the mission with them, decided that they'd rescue SG-1. So uh, Dr. Felger and Dr. Coombs, played by Patrick McKenna and John Billingsley, respectively, they ring up to the Hatak and proceeds to rescue SG-1. Was it Dr. Felger or Dr. Coombs who endured the undying jealousy of every male SG fan and any non-straight female fans? Uh, That was Felger. Overactive imagination the guy had. (laughs) Still had to shoot the bloody scene. That is true. <laughs> Repeatedly. Yes. If he was directing it, take 43. <laughs> These things you have to do for your art. Yes. A method actor. Yes. If there was a method actor, there would have been a visible bulge. <laughs> well, you McGregor actually says when he does a nude scene, apparently, that he apologises to female if he does, and he apologises to female in case he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> How many votes did the other guys get? The other guys got 12 votes. Mm-hmm. Joint second. In the poll. You vote for that one at all, Mike? No, I didn't vote for that one I as well. I think I did. This year, we've actually got about 19 votes more than last year, oh. which, considering our listenerships on the feed, has actually gone down. <laughs> our exploitation of Twitter has actually balanced it out a bit. <laughs> it's all pros and cons. It's all pros and cons. Yeah. Actually, exploitation. <laughs> you said staring at the cherry blossom on the tree outside his window. But we had that discussion last week. Let's not go into that again. <laughs> okay, episode nine of season six, Allegiance. The Tokra and the Jafar and the Tare all get together on the Alpha site for some fun and games. For a bonding session. Yes. 
Uh, written and directed by Peter DeLuise. Not a fun episode. Not a lot of humour in this episode at all. No. And a lot of slow motion gunplay when we get to see uh, Jack with a nice M50 machine gun open up on pretty much everything and miss everything. Tokra die, Jafar die, and then blame each other. They all line up in a very orderly... Cue to be killed. Yes. <laughs> One eat. Very cooperative. Yeah. Brief aside, I'm just replying to Madras underscore Hatter. About a mum. Yeah. It seems appropriate, and with Twitter, if you don't reply pretty much immediately, it tends to lose effectiveness. It was an interesting episode, because it actually introduced the Tokra leader, Malek, played by Peter Stebbings, and we had the invisible enemy again, yep. and Braytac got himself beat up big time, which you don't see very often. No, not many people can take Braytac. Yes, it takes an invisible bloke, about seven foot tall, when we finally revealed, and Braytac is about 130-something, so <laughs> we can't blame him too much. No, but uh, you get a wonderful uh, interscene rivalry between the Tok'ra and the humans and the Jaffa. It's like, yeah, yeah, we have a common enemy, we need to cooperate. No, let's kill each other. Well, Raytac, I mean, eventually comes through. He actually kills the Ashrak, lifts the weapon up. This blade has tasted Tok'ra and Jaffar blood. You know, let us never be divided again. Yes, he's good with the speechifying. He is, isn't he? <laughs> Thoughts on the episode, Colin? I like this episode because, again, you get the ninja Jaffar. Which are always good. The same ninjas that we had in the uh, episode back in season five with the so-called Jafar rebel leader who turned out to be a bad guy. Yeah, with his Harry Potter cloak of invisibility. <laughs> I, I prefer to think of it more as a Eric the Viking cloak of invisibility. It only works on certain people. <laughs> but it's nice because it shows that although that they're all all three sides are technically working together, it's a very unstable alliance. Oh yeah, very much so. So you can't help thinking, you know, I mean, especially seeing as you're only on Series 6, you can't help thinking when watch this episode, when they do eventually defeat the System Lords, what's going to happen then? The rate they're going through Tokri, you wouldn't think there were many left. No, <laughs> <laughs> no by the time they get around to finishing the System Lords, it'll just be the Jafar, so... That was Allegiance, which got no votes. No one likes a cloak of invisibility. <laughs> Gumdraya! Episode 10, Cure. SG-1 go to visit a world that is uh, technically advanced. Not as advanced as ours, but, you know, well into uh, industrialization. Appears to be named after one of the names for the single uh, hypercontinent. Pangea. Pangar. And the hypercontinent was Pangea. Yeah, I know. <laughs> What's your nitpick, Colin? Sometimes. You refuse to allow my nitpick of saying if we were discussing Star Trek captains, we shouldn't include Cisco until season four of DS9. Just because you got upset because he's a star base captain. No, he was a commander. Well, technically, in the Navy, if you're in charge of a vessel, then you're a captain. I would say that star bases don't move, but it does actually move in episode ones. They move it to the wormhole. Brief asides aside, <laughs> he said playing radio again. What does interest the SGC about this world is uh, a drug they've got, which seems to make them impervious from disease and uh, other maladies. Unfortunately, when they do a bit of digging... Oh, Jonas woos one of the natives. Do you think Jonas gets them? I don't think so. Uh, but he's got he's got this power over alien women that's quite magnificent in season six. You should go bear hopping in the Colorado then. <laughs> Take Tilk along with him as his wingman. Yeah, the issue being, it's roasting in here, why are you wearing a hat? <laughs> the secret, of course, of the Pangarians is a Tokra queen, Nigeria, who just happens to be the Tokra queen. That's what I said, isn't it? Yeah. You, said a, you said A rather than the... Well, there is only one Toker Queen, so... No, who's picking? 
<laughs> Don't worry, by the time I've edited that, I won't have said the Toker Queen. <laughs> it just happens to be the Toker Queen. It would have been ideal to find 100 years ago when she was still fit enough to actually produce more young, but right now she's dying and, well, all they can do is say goodbye to her. Yes, and she seems to manage remarkable shrinkage to fit inside that petite wee woman, considering the size she was. Uh, In the pool, yeah. Yeah, it's like, ah, who cares about conservation of bass? Like I said at the time, most of that will be uh, produced for actually egg-laying. She's no bigger than any other symbiote. It's not as if certain other series, which Colin might be a fan of, are overly concerned with conservation of mass. I don't know what you're talking about. Good. <laughs> I did mean to ask one question, though, when you, went, when you reviewed this, and I forgot to ask it at the time. This is the first time you see a queen, isn't it? In that form, yes. Yeah. Hathor was a queen, but we only saw her as a host. Mm-hmm. It's the first time you actually see one in, like, birthing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, Hathor did birth from the host. Yeah, but Hathor, we didn't actually see the symbiote that is the queen. We saw the results of, but not... Yeah, because you don't see another one birthing until you see a new besieged super soldiers, do you? Spoilers. Spoilers. We don't spoil beyond the current episode. He has already pointed out that we defeat the system, Lord, so come on. No, that was a hypothetical. Oh, all right then. Yeah. It's one of two It's one of two potential timelines. <laughs> yes. yes, and if they ever make a movie, there'll be another timeline. Yeah. The Cure, no votes. People just don't like Tiger Feet or close to you. <laughs> they seem not to be voting on the Toker episodes. Well, they're a miserable bunch, aren't they? Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. None of the Toker episodes thus far have had Jake. Maybe they'll vote for Jacob episodes. Yeah. Jacob, he was in Allegiance, wasn't he? Oh, he was, you're right. I think that was the first time him and Braytac actually was on screen at the same time. Hmm. You would have thought, you know, those two come together, you know, the end of the world or something. This is my scene. I'll ham it up, not you. Don't slag off Tony like that. Gumdraya! <laughs> All right, then. Episode 11, Prometheus. Oh, yes, or how to steal a spaceship in three easy steps. Yes. Yeah, but they did have one hell of a help on their hands. <laughs> if nothing else, this was worth it for Richard Dean Anderson, a.k.a. Jack, really letting rip. Oh, yeah. yeah. Background behind it was that Richard Dean Anderson himself did not like this story because he couldn't accept that the Air Force was this stupid. Especially with their ultra-top-secret ship. Yeah, it's surprising they actually Air Force signed off on this as well. <laughs> Can you create a whole new branch of the military that are actually doing the guarding and not us? <laughs> yes. Cures Custos Custodius, eh? He was very convincing, though, when he ripped the strip off that chap. Because he was actually ticked off. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably been spending hours having to go at Brad Wright or something about the episode, and the writers, Joseph Malosian, Paul Mully again, getting nowhere with it, and, right, this is my scene. This is probably apologise to the, uh, the other guy beforehand. <laughs> just go with it, lads, just go with it. Remember, I am a producer. I signed the checks. Well, the smaller ones. This was also one of the last time the actual actors were surprised about the size of a CGI effect when the director said, it's big, look impressed. (laughs) 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 And actually watching the footage back and realising that the X303, and none of them looked like it was big. Oh, look, it's a Ford Fiesta driving off into the distance. (laughs) Well, maybe Ford Galaxy, you know, that stupidly oversized Jeep. Uh, let's not forget, John Delancey made a return as Frank Simmons. I love John Delancey. That's why they managed to steal the ship so easily, you know, because they had a queue. That could be it, yeah. <laughs> Nothing to do with the ghoul, just the whole queue thing. Yes, but why would a queue need a ship? Come on. Why does God need a starship? Yes. Oh, gods. 
We're crossing the streams. We're crossing the streams. <laughs> you told me not to do that. We can say we get to do it now. Prometheus gets nicked. Jack and Tilk save the day. Unfortunately, they're stuck in the middle of nowhere, and who should come to the rescue? Thor, buddy! <laughs> With his rather creepy explanation that we monitor you. Yes. Well, it, I suppose it's not that technically, you know, at this point, we are probably the strongest allies they've got left. Everybody else that joined forces with the uh, Asgard have come off pretty badly. And have been eaten by the replicators. Yeah. Or as Thor says, replicators. It's probably a good idea that they do keep an eye on our solar system. But unfortunately, you know, they've only really come a-calling because they want our help again. And our ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, primitive. And it's not the O'Neill class. No, it's not. Prometheus got four votes. Yes, I vote. For- That's the fifth most popular episode of this season, according to our listeners. And me. And you. <laughs> Come try Unnatural Selection, which is the mission that the Asgard wanted the Prometheus for, and it involves the Replicators. Now, this is a story by Robert C. Coop and Brad Wright, written by Brad Wright and directed by Annie Makita. I think that's just Michael Shanks keeping his hand in. <laughs> I may not, Daniel may be gone, but damn it, I'll return to something else. Yes, putting Thor in this, I keep getting paid for it. And they're saying, we've got samples of your voice, Michael, you don't need to come in for this. No, residuals, residuals. Just send me a check. Yes. The replicators. The Asgard built a time dilation device that would capture the replicators in one spot and freeze them for a couple of hundred years, in which time the Asgard would be able to develop technology to destroy them once and for all. Unfortunately, the replicators, being clever little sods, (laughs) Reese, the android from Menace, and built a human-form replicator who was able to actually bypass a time dilation device and actually reverse it. So for every day that on in real time, they were going a, what, a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So they advanced like crazy. And so uh, SG-1 in the Prometheus settles down on the planet and they find five human-form replicators, although they don't know it at the time because... There are five human-form replicators. Yeah, they actually try to uh, rescue these humans while they're trying to destroy the replicators, not knowing that they were replicators. So guest stars, Ian Buchanan, that's first, who's seriously creepy. He was brilliant in this. Yeah. Patrick Curry is fifth. The flawed replicator, who, stupid boy, takes a fondness to Sam. A silly boy. That's, I mean, they're meant to be intelligent. You don't actually date Sam. It seriously shortens your life expectancy. Although technically, since he's trapped in time duration, his life expectancy's been extended indefinitely. Yep. A notable guest actor, again, before he became more well-known, was Tameth Pennicott. He was in Battlestar, of course. Didn't have much of a role in this. That set looked big and intimidating, which he did rather well. Me angry. <laughs> Pennicott smash. Episode ends, of course, as uh, Prometheus flies away and the time dilation device kicks in, trapping the replicators in uh, the time loop forever. At least the rest of the season, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've got a nasty feeling we'll see them again. Yeah. And there's another Star Trek toy. I know when he wants to call the ship Enterprise. Oh, of course he does, yes. He gets rather annoyed when he can't. Well, you can understand it. I mean, Prometheus being a Greek tragedy, and you'll name your new interstellar spaceship after something that ended in disaster, you know? (laughs) Not just disaster. Spectacular disaster. Yeah. In spirit of the year, it could have been called Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) We want something big and vast. Because it actually got home intact. (laughs) The only thing that Titanic did fast was sink. Surprisingly, no votes. Really? Did you not vote for it, Colin? No. Did you vote, Colin? (laughs) I gave you a get out there. You could have lied and said you voted for something. This poll actually doesn't record names, so you can say whatever you want. (laughs) No, because I I seen the tweet yesterday where it says the polls are now closed, and I thought, 
Oh, but about later. <laughs> so rather than oh, I better vote now, it's I better vote later. You can, you know, the poll will work on your smartphone, Colin. <laughs> details, details, details. I was going to vote. I would have voted for Prometheus. So we have one virtual vote. A virtual vote. Fair enough. Come Right, episode 13, Sight Unseen. Is this the worst episode of the season? Definitely a close second. Certainly the worst one we've covered in this wrap-up. Yeah. It's not poorly made. No. Production is fine. The guest star, Jodie Rassicott, perfectly acceptable as a kind of paranoid conspiracy nut. Uh, The special effects were okay. It would just, you know, the whole premise. SG-1 do not bring advanced alien technology, which they don't know what it does. They don't bring it back and switch it on. It was so stupid. How many times have they taken research facility and scientists off-world to study technology? But no, oh, look, it's portable. Let's bring it back. I don't know, let's turn it on. Yeah, oh, it's dear. a crystal skull all over again. Well, to be fair, the crystal skull at the time was just a lump. <laughs> Isn't that pretty? Let's take it back, yes. <laughs> we'll pillage this temple in the spirit of colonialism. Was it unintentionally fun? You think? Yeah, because it was so ridiculous. We had a guy driving a truck with a great big leech on the windscreen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah let's drive into a petrol station. Yeah. But let's drive into a petrol station. All you have to do to cure someone is touch them. Yes, well, there are some people who should be touched. Some people shouldn't be cured. <laughs> I have a list. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a it's, another, it's another Sheldon, my characteristic. <laughs> uh, Sight and Scene was written by Ron Wilkerson. Sorry, a story by Ron Wilkinson, written by Damien Kindler and directed by Peter F. West, who normally is a DP on the show. This aired in the UK, December the 11th, so global premiere on Sky One, because the US Sci-Fi Channel took a over long break over the Christmas holidays. Mad fools. So, surprisingly, this didn't get any votes. Can't think why. We, we weren't that keen on it. No, so perhaps it wasn't that surprisingly, really. No, that did kind of come across. Come try ya! The fact that the next episode, Smoke and Mirrors, didn't get a vote, now that did surprise me. It's got Ronnie Cox in it. Yes, Kinsey's back. And he gets shot by Jack. Kinsey's back has a hole in it. <laughs> there is a hole in your back. Written by Catherine Powers. Oh, come on. It won't, no, it wasn't that funny, Alan. You're going to cut it, aren't you? The story was by Catherine Powers, written by Joseph Mullows and Paul Mully, directed by Peter DeLuise. We got uh, Colin Cunningham, and so somebody died. <laughs> Sorry, Davis, but... Something always goes wrong when you're around. As I recall, we're both surprised that Davis still has a job considering the monumental screw-up he made with the X303. <laughs> the fact that the, the Prometheus got nicked on his watch, <laughs> that's normally grounds for some sort of... That's only grounds for the rest of his life in bloody Leavenworth. We're going to lock you away in a very, very dark hole on a different planet, and we're not going to tell you which one. But there's no windows. Yeah, no windows. <laughs> A notable guest star for this episode, uh, aside from Ronnie Cox and Colin Cunningham, was Peter Calamus, who went on to be Brody in Stargate Universe. Helen thanks us for our condolences. Okay. What did surprise me, I thought just the fact that it was Kinsey, that I'd get at least one vote. Mm-hmm. But no. The slime ball you love to hate. Yeah. It was a nice touch, though, to bring the technology back from foothold. What were they? Memetic devices that could actually cloak you in the form of somebody else. Of course, it made the ultimate resolution when Sam infiltrated the committee to get them all. That was a bit, yeah. But we'll let that go. Fun episode. Especially the end when Kinsey is with Jack in the podium and doing his, I'll be the next president because of this. Yeah, you just won me the election. Yes. 
Thank you, Jack. <laughs> and Jack has to shake his hand. Jack's expression Oof. is kind of a kind of cordled milk in about two hundred yards. Oh, also worth noting, Sam met Agent Barrett from the NID. Oh yes. Was the chemistry? I hope not for his sake. <laughs> he did get to lie on top of her though, only for a few seconds. He's dead. He's doing <laughs> yes, he is indeed. He made contact. <laughs> you won't survive the night. Come try ya. Right, let's jump to Paradise Lost. Another fun guest star. Mayborn. Yes, Tom McBeath. Excellent episode. Surprisingly, considering that there's probably a good 15 minutes where nothing is spoken at all, I don't mind admitting a bitch to edit, because you couldn't have just the soundtrack playing in the episode. <laughs> I had to find something to talk about. That was fun when you need to be talking, because there's nothing happening on the screen. <laughs> Yeah. Can you read the dictionary or the telephone book out while we're watching it, please? <laughs> uh, written by Robert C. Cooper, directed by William Geraghty. It was basically written because they wanted to get Jack and uh, Mayborn together again. This is the only reason the episodes exist, because RDA and Tom have great chemistry together. Admittedly, it's potentially the sort of chemistry you get when you combine hydrogen with oxygen in a flaming environment, but still, it's chemistry. Let's face it, all these times Jack says... I want to shoot you. He finally did get to shoot him, <laughs> by accident. <laughs> I think there's very similar themes explored in one of the first Enterprise episodes. What's that? The one where they go down onto this planet and they stack on a big <laughs> go gag. Down on this planet? They stack on it. Colin, you know the one I'm talking about. I'm letting you rot in your own ruin, are you? Carry on. <laughs> yeah, can you expand on... Tapal loses control. I went, that's in the... Um... The Delphic Expanse. The Delphic Expanse. Not the Delphic Expanse one. This is a episode two or three. Episode two is fight or flight when they put Sluggo on the Argon planet and they go into a spaceship that's siphoning off the juice from lymphatic nodes. That's the second one. Episode three. Herself and I think Trip and somebody else are on a planet and they all start to go a bit mad because of an environmental contagion. Uh, yeah, no, you may. Oh, God. I've gone blank. Okay, well, you can redraw your face in a bit. <laughs> yeah, Paradise Lost. Basically, Mayborn blackmails the president and the SGC with the gate address to a world where there's a huge cache of weaponry, which is basically the same world that Simmons wanted to nick the Prometheus and go to. Yes. Unfortunately, guess what? He double-crosses everybody. Shut And um, Yes. And Jack being Jack doesn't let him get away with it, so the pair of them get stranded on this alien world. Or so they think. Well, yeah. Sam goes bonkers trying to figure out how to rescue him. Overly emotional. Yeah, to some extent, Bill Lee, played by Bill Dow, faces a down. And, you know, he says, you know, I don't take my orders from you, I take mine from the general, and we've done everything we can. Human technology and ingenuity just cannot solve this problem. And then they look up in the sky and says, hang on a minute, there's a moon there. And this device surely hasn't got enough range to take somebody off to another planet. But like a ring device, it could take somebody to a moon. I think I would have noticed the moon before that. Yeah, big and round and... Hanging in the sky, like. That's one thing they did in the episode. The opening shot of the planet, you saw the moon. Yeah. But then you never saw the moon again. So you're seeing it from their perspective. But interestingly enough, you've seen some of these moons, and they're quite close, and you think, I hope you're not anywhere near a coast. Even so, wouldn't you get severe sort of earthquakes and major tidal forces with another planetary body that close? And wouldn't Jack sort of comment on this, given the fact that he knows astronomy? Yeah, but sometimes he conveniently forgets his astronomy. Yes, he does. <laughs> it's a bit like several people I walk with who pretend to be far more stupid than they actually are. Well, it gets you out of situations. It gets me into support situations, but anyway. 
The difference between this one and the Enterprise episode, though, is with this one, the psychogenic things is from 80, whereas the Enterprise episode, if I, it was just, I can't think of the title, that was spores, weren't it? It's gone airborne. Yes, Mayborne was eating something that reminded him of arugula. Which we had no idea what it was. Google is your slightly alcoholic, untrustworthy cousin. <laughs> I enjoyed this episode. It was beautiful to look at. Wonderfully shot. Nice story. Occasional top of which. Yes. But a decent soundtrack, though. If you're going to rely on your music to carry the episode, they, they got it right. It is good, though, when these two do an episode together because they bounce off each other so well. Yeah. Usually with fists. Yeah. Well, in this case, you just shot him, so... <laughs> it's faster. It was worth it when, uh, right at the end, Mayborn's armed to the teeth. He's, I think he's used his last grenade, mm-hmm. and then he hears the click of a gun behind him. And you like the episode. The question is, did anyone else? Two people. They got two votes. Deserved more. And why didn't you vote for it, then? Because I preferred Abyss. I voted virtually for Prometheus. Not you, Colin, him. Now we voting 21 times for the other one. <laughs> <laughs> he's just trying to boost my morale. I was feeling fairly bad at the time. <laughs> Come try ya! A swan song for Nerty. Yes, Metamorphosis. From a story by Jacqueline Samunda and James Titchener. Written by James Titchener and directed by Peter DeLuise. He's off uh, doing his table balancing. No, no, man. <laughs> yes, and Metamorphosis. The Russian SG team returned to Stargate Command with a, a native of the, the village they've been to. He looks a bit worse for the wear. <laughs> it looks very worse for the way, and then it looks like it could be mopped up with a sheet of bounty. The big surprise is that uh, Nert is on his planet, and he's, she's back to her old self doing experiments on the people. And fortunately, as the Russian puts it, you've got to clean up your own mess, aren't you? In the case of guy who came to the planet, literally. Yes, quite. And I, I believe <laughs> I made an original uh, X-Men movie reference. Yes, you did. Because it was a straight lift. Guest stars in this episode, obviously Jacqueline Samundra as Nerti uh, returns once more. The time I says she looks absolutely magnificent, and I stand by that. Costuming was fantastic. Yes, no reference on sexuality at all. <laughs> Love the Mrs. Robinson homage. That's brilliant. <laughs> Only 600 years your senior. <laughs> <laughs> Worth mentioning that... Sorry, go on. She was a bit butch and also she's not exactly the type of person you're going to say you look terrible to, so... Well, the feeling that she did in her spare time work out a bit. Two of the aliens, uh, under all the prosthetics, were Alex Zahara and Dion Johnson. Dion, our uh, plastic forehead piece, man. Yes, they've probably done more episodes underneath a couple of inches of makeup than any other actors on the show. Or three or four inches of latex. Yes. Well, hey. Raoul Ganyev played Lieutenant Colonel Sergei Evanov. So, hey, look, they've learnt another Russian name. <laughs> Congratulations. Yes, they've lifted it from B5. <laughs> <laughs> See, they're not limited to a single franchise. <laughs> Nerty eventually finds that there's something special about Jonas. Oh, yes. Special. Special. As if she couldn't see that without the machine. Come on, it's Jonas. He's got that boyish naivety and... Probably a demon in the second. Yeah, and yet another <laughs> female alien falls under his charms. Yeah, see, he's fully functional. <laughs> <laughs> he's fully opposable. <laughs> Doesn't end well for Nerty. No, she kind of gets it in the neck. Very much so. Sam, who got kind of reprogrammed with the DNA machine, gets fixed. The aliens fix themselves and happy ending. So Sam can't have kids now? Not that sort of fixed. I know. I just thought it was an amusing <laughs> reference. Did he get any votes? <laughs> he got two votes. Woo-hoo. Yes, same as Paradise Lost, which is surprised me because I thought Paradise Lost was a much better episode. It's because you like Paradise Lost, but obviously not enough to vote for it. <laughs> Come try ya! And you people, you're all... Astronauts on 
some kind of Star Trek. We are indeed seeking Star Trek, and if you want to seek Star Trek, then why don't you try Trek News and Views, the latest news and views on what's going on in the Star Trek world. Your life as it has been is over. Oh my. Oh my indeed, George. We also have a little gossip at the end of each program about a certain subject, be it Romulans, Klingons, or whatever takes our fancy. Feel free to drop us a line and join in. Trek News and Views via Podbean or iTunes. Check it out. Okay then, time for a clip show, folks. We've got to save money. Mm. I will now cut together two minutes of previously on. <laughs> previously on the Gaycast. This is what we said. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't save us any money at all. The SEC and the President of America has decided to actually spill the beans to the Chinese, British and French governments, mainly because... Sooner or later, they're going to get caught out. Yes, yeah, the big explosions in orbit do tend to get noticed. Jodrell Bank might kind of go, hmm, what was Interesting. that? Should we tell somebody? No, put the kettle on. <laughs> Let's have a cup of tea. <laughs> yes, priorities. Written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully, directed by William Garrity. Notable guest stars, Francois Shaw as the Chinese ambassador. Colin Cunningham's back. Gary Chalk, Colonel Chekhov. Oh, Ronnie Cox, of course. Yes. Olga Tot. As a little Russian thing. Russian thing? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, there's no interpretation of that that is in any way clean. She's just something that the Colonel Chekhov took around with him. She's his attaché. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure she's attaché to him quite frequently. (laughs) Yeah, she's his little Russian dog. Yeah. Yeah, basically a bottle show, a clip show, one major set, a nice little set. Actually turned out a lot better than I expected. Mm -hmm. As a clip, because the clips they showed were all the CGI stuff. Yes, the big shiny spaceships. Yes. There was a lot of money spent on those shots when they were originally made. So they said, get my mileage out of them, and it's like, look, we make Mike happy, we show a big shiny spaceship. Yes. Plus, we have got the, the excellent put down at the end. Oh, yes. <laughs> you want to do it, Colin? Supreme Commander. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, great shot as well. You know, his, his thing, you know, kind of eclipsing Kinsey. Then Kinsey looking at his thing and putting it down. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing he was beaten, not only by Thor, but by the general as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, masterful piece of strategy there. Let's face it, when when you've got the Supreme Commander of the Allied fleet who, you know, actually comes out and, and says, you know, we don't mind who we uh, liaise with, but we prefer these guys. <laughs> Uh, by the way, we're arming your starship. Yes, and uh, while our continued protection isn't contingent upon it, <laughs> very political statement, sort of, you know, like, you get rid of these guys, you may get rid of us, and then you're all going to die. Yeah, you, th- you think, hang on a minute, how come Thor's such a diplomat, but then again, he's been overseeing the Protected Planets Treaty for God knows how many years, dealing with the good old system lord, so you've got to be a diplomat, really. I have a very, very big gun. Yes. He's got both. <laughs> I'm not touching that one. Disclosure, got two votes. Forsaken. Well, I had a nice exchange with Sparkson. Oh, yeah. On Twitter. All right. At this point, I started making faint jokes about her declining listenership in the uh, opening tweet. Oh, right. Forsaken. SG1 visits the world to do a bit of astronomy. 
And for some reason, Jack seems uh, ignorant of uh, the science, which is ridiculous, because <laughs> one thing we do know Jack's hobby is, is astronomy. Yes, and the whole spaceship on the roof of episode one. Spaceship? He only does astronomy Telescope. at the weekends. Ah, right. So, so, so he has a little chip he removes from his head. Of course, we're assuming he was looking at the stars and not at Mrs. Jones at number 53. <laughs> well, he, he, he did say uh, at first, yes. Uh, written by Damien Kindler, directed by Andy Makita, guest star Martin Cummins. You recognise him from Smallville and uh, Dark Angel, also Poltergeist Legacy. Dion Johnson's back under <laughs> a ton of makeup again. And Jonas is flirting with an alien female. It's unusual. Yes. Jonas Quinn, the James T. Kirk of Stargate. Yes, she even plants one on him. Well, let's face it, he had all the gold. She wasn't stupid. When you've got so much gold, you can just put it there. It's all right, it's not important. <laughs> gold goblets and doubloons. Yes, doubloons. All he's missing is an eye patch and a parrot. <laughs> the crashed spaceship nice little set although you know obviously some of it half of it was matted in the long shots yep. the Cebrus it turns out it was a prison ship and the three humanoid aliens they're talking to who claim to be the crew were actually the prisoners one wonders given that it's Cerberus and given that there's three bad guys are they representative of the three heads of the Greek dog you'd think there were more prisoners on board that ship than just those three. I mean, there were 13, was it about 13 crew members? Yeah, but everybody got killed. Eventually, yeah. <laughs> the alien that got killed after SG-1 arrived, you know, doing well to make it, then SG-1 turns up and he died. <laughs> Maybe he looked at Amanda and thought, hmm, tasty. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was it. He should have kept his head down, shouldn't he? Looks nice, bang, crap. Well, as we've seen, the alien commander, his wife was uh, human. So, obviously, you know, it, it works. Everything, <laughs> everything goes together, right? If tab A fits slot B. <laughs> just like Cerberus was guarding to the entrance gates of Hades, then so the ship should have been guarding the entrance to the gates of... Hmm. <laughs> Amanda's gates doesn't need guarding, trust me. She's got a very own personal curse to do that. <laughs> well, that was it. She was probably tempting Aiden Corso, you know, when she, when she took off her jacket, you know, and bent down a little, a little wiggle, like, you know. Wasn't there a comment you said in the commentary to make sure it didn't show Amanda's book crack? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just say yeah, Mike. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. She bent down and there was a little bit of skin, which she normally wouldn't see. <laughs> and I think they mentioned the fact that they wanted to make sure they couldn't see a thong. Mm-hmm. And then they went on to uh, make comments about Chris Judge's backside. Chris Judge in a thong. Which, if you've seen some of the extras from the DVD, when uh, Chris is doing left cheek clench, right cheek clench, in the mirror. <laughs> 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 got, got impressive. The guy's built. Even if you're not into that sort of thing, it's still impressive. <laughs> a bit of music, like you say. Duh, 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 duh. I was thinking more of the what's the face from the early Police Academy movies. That music. Oh, uh, yeah, the the gay yeah, the bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, the blue oyster bar. Yeah. You know of it, do you? Oh yeah. I assume this is the episode you consider the worst of the bunch, Alan. No. 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 Oh. Did I complain at the time? I don't think we gave it much praise. Hmm. No, you didn't. Yeah, all right. So let's jump on. Uh, no votes. Contraya! So what's next? The Changeling. Christopher Judge wrote this episode. And was in a lot of it. I thought Jack's fire chief uniform looked remarkably military and air forcing. Navy, actually. That was my comment. It looked like a Navy uniform. Yeah. Directed by Martin Wood. As we've said, it was written by Chris Judge, so obviously Chris-centric. He got the girl. Chris normally does in his episodes. Yes. Again, can't really blame him. You're going to direct that episode? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, okay, let me see. Let me pick the extra. We got Bretak and Jacob. 
Apophis. Except not. <laughs> and the episode. Grab bag of guest stars, wasn't it? He overloaded it with guest stars. And Michael Shanks, of course, came back for this episode. Gianna Patton, who was Chris's partner, she got a speaking part in the episode. I, I really like this episode. Well put together, wonderfully shot, great location work, real fire engines, uh, real fire crews, something that the show really doesn't do a lot of. You know, they, they tend, to, tend to go for the cheaper option of sitting people in cars and rocking them. But they actually were in the fire truck and filmed inside it because we saw uh, Amanda in the front seat. It's kind of hard to rock a fire truck there. That's true, yeah. Things do have an unladen weight, but 16 and a half ton. <laughs> we get basically a kind of a multiple reality dream sequence as Tilk and Braytac lie almost dying on a battlefield, sharing a single symbiote. Yeah, so we, we do have multiple. I suppose you could argue that it's reminiscent of the episode with Daniel kneeling in the tent and being brain zapped by Sherry way back in season two, I think. Yeah, I'm not falling for that again, Ant. What? Well, normally you say that, and I go to check up, and maybe once every ten times you're right, <laughs> and I'm impressed. <laughs> oh, you're political five. Forever in a day. Hmm. Yeah. And it's a good episode. I can't remember what I thought about this episode when I first saw it. You know, it all comes as a surprise. But on rewatch, it's still a very good episode. We see Michael Shanks, like he did with Jack, just, you know, making sure his friend survives, pulls through. Not directly influencing anything, but just giving it enough of a push in the direction he wants. And of course, Till, at the end of this episode, does not have a symbiote. Yeah. But he does have Tritonin, Indeed. which the Tokra have brought from the episode The Cure. They've done some research on it. Having refined it. Yes. I'm sorry, season three. <laughs> oh, you checked, did you? Yes, I checked. Since you said you weren't going to bother. Well, I knew the name of the episode, so I wasn't going to bother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, changing. Brilliant episode. Yeah, how brilliant did other people think it was? The Changing 2. Oh, dear. Uh, not too shabby. At least it got more than some episodes did this season. Some episodes got zero. Yes. Anything would be more than that. That is true. <laughs> You're a maths genius, Alan. Yes, I know. Come try ya! Memento, episode 20. Written by Damien Kindler. Directed by Peter DeLuise. Aired on February the 12th, 2003. We come in peace, shoot to kill. Which also proves that the ship was badly named. <laughs> you think? What's bad luck about the X-303? Oh, I don't know, but you know, there's not much of a starship without an engine. No, uh, let's face it, the Enterprise have never ejected, ejected a warp core, have they? Never. No, it's no. not, you know, for example, a trope. <laughs> no, no, that sort of stuff doesn't happen at all. Of course, it would have been more apt if they could have turned the missiles into a whale and a bowl of petunias. That is true, yeah. You never know when you're going to need whale song. It's quite relaxing. <laughs> Until it hits the ground. Yes, I wonder if it'll be friends with me. Picky, picky. <laughs> you see, that doesn't work in anything other than English accent. It's rather disturbing, isn't it? Whenever they're going to build a ship like this, the first thing they do is, right, this is the engine core. How is the quickest way to get this out of the ship if something goes wrong? <laughs> it's something we currently don't worry about when we're building anything Hang on, hang on. I covered this. I did project management the last two days. This is mitigating risks. Right now, even nuclear submarines haven't got a way to eject the reactor. Because there's so many bloody fail-safes built in, it doesn't go that wrong. Until it... Yeah, but generally it goes that wrong when someone's hit it with a shagging, honking great missile. Well, then, why do you think they bothered with Prometheus? Nah, nothing's going to go wrong. Yeah, let's take it into deep space. We're just testing it. Let's test yes. it. You know, 50 billion light-years from home. 
<laughs> with no way of communicating with home. Well, yeah, I mean, you think the Tokra would have adapted to Google communication devices. You would think after <laughs> Prometheus that they would learn, think, you know, if this goes wrong again, we kind of need some way to dial home. Perhaps a thought, this will never happen again. Why don't we nick a gate off a planet and stall it on the ruddy ship? Yeah, no matter where we are, it'll just take a few hours for the computers to work out the coordinates and the gate addresses, and off we go. Of course, that doesn't allow for dramatic tension. True, it doesn't. No. I mean, aside from slagging off basic Stargate premises, what did we think of the episode? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I knew there was something we were supposed to be doing. It had two things going for it. Robert Foxworth, who Star Trek fans will know, and Babylon 5 fans will know, he played a good role, and probably the highlight of the episode was the raising of the gate in the desert. Oh, yes. If anything, that was better than the movie, because it was a longer sequence. Yes, and a clear homage. If you're the series based on the movie, it's not a plagiarism. That was something Robert C. Cooper wanted to do. He wanted to have a gate sequence like that, and he finally got it. A suitably well-built men raising it, which I'm sure the female audience and the gay male audience appreciate. Robert Foxworth does seem to play high-ranking officers, though, when he does appear in programmes. He does it well. He's got the charisma and the presence for it. I should yeah. know the answer to this, but have we actually had Robert England in Stargate? Freddy Krueger. Uh, yeah, I know who he is. Just spotted him in Criminal Minds the other night, and I thought, it's a, what a wonderfully resonant voice. Like engines. I don't recall ever seeing him in Stargate. It was in V. Mm. That's going back a bit. What, the original V or the new V? The original V, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> that is going back a bit, or in primary yeah. school. He was in the Resistance, weren't he, Mike? He was one of the visitors, yeah, and then he kind of defected. Yeah. He was uh, sympathetic to the human's cause. Was he the slightly dumb one? Yeah, it wasn't a great patch, to be honest. No, it wasn't, it wasn't much of a uh, game-changing defection. <laughs> no. No, unlike Martin in the original V. It was like Diana's second-in-command. I'm still ticked off about the way they finished the new V. At ridiculous levels of cliffhanging. Well, the producers did it on purpose, didn't they? In a desperate attempt to get more money in a renewal. A desperate attempt to get a third series. They was hoping the fans would bombard the studio, but let us say we need to wrap this up. The studio just turned around and said, tough. Was the studio involved Fox? Couldn't possibly comment on Fox's <laughs> reputation for cancelling the series that so everyone likes apart from the advertisers. <laughs> right. How many votes did Memento get? Because I think we blathered on enough. Memento got zero votes, which was a shame. It should have got at least one vote for the dirigibles with guns on them. Yay, steampunk. Moving swiftly since we've been going well over two hours at this point and Mike will take a week to edit this if we don't wrap it up fairly soon. Rattle off the last two. <laughs> Prophecy. Written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully. Directed by Will Wearing. Jonas episode. I'm still convinced that they knew Jonas was on the way out when they write you an episode with a bloody brain tumour in it. Well, the commentary, you know, actually states when they filmed this, there was no season seven, they were going to make a movie. And that was it. So whatever they were writing would have been wrapped up in the movie. As it turns out, there was a season seven, they got Michael Shanks back and... We said goodbye to Jonas. The season 8 and the season 9 and the season 10. For the sake of it, though, SU-1 go to a planet ruled by a system world called Mott. Impressive. Yeah, that's truly impressive. My name's Mott. I'd just like to point out a Star Trek reference on, on TNG. Mott is the barb. Yes, he is, isn't he? Yeah. The blue guy. Yeah. With the two stomachs and the platinum. No, no, no. No, that's more. Oh, sorry. Understandable yeah. confusion. Mott is the kind of the talkative one, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was Morn. 
in all seven series he's worn spoke once. <laughs> Funnily enough, I entered a competition on another podcast years ago, a Star Trek podcast, and I did an impression of Morn. <laughs> <laughs> I got in the draw, but I think I'd have got in the draw anyway, just for entering. <laughs> That's the level of my creativity when left to my own devices. Here's my impression of Morn. Brilliant. <laughs> All right, the prophecy. Yeah, as the uh, mission unfolds, Jonah starts catching glimpses of things that will happen in the future, including the destruction of the SGC. Janet gives him a brain scan, discovers he's got a tumour growing. Wants to have it removed surgically, but Jonas keeps putting it off because somehow he's got to see the future so he can actually avoid the future. Yeah. And while at the same time fulfilling generations old prophecy that the system lords will be overthrown by visitors to the planet armed with amazing weapons and technology. All four of them. <laughs> Jonas, I told you not to drink the tequila. <laughs> Death stars. I would say no one remark- remarkable. Rob Lee comes back as Major Pierce of SG-15. Karen Van Blinkenstein as the nurse again. Jonas eventually does go under the knife and uh, recovers. Maybe a relative of Collins, you know, knives. No, you won't go into that. Well, it depends how sharp it is. Sharp enough to cut a tumour out. Question asked at the end of the episode, though, is if it's possible to change the future, as Jonas you know, actually accomplished, how come, at the end of the day, the prophecy was fulfilled? And that's the beauty of prophecy, you know. Yeah, it's sufficiently vague that that's how astrology was. Well, you could take the line from Terminator 2 when they go, no fate but what we make. Yeah. You could take a line from a short story I read, which is temporal inertia. The universe will rearrange itself to make sure events that were supposed to happen bloody well happen. We just got a tweet informing us that Megan Fox has told them. We know that. Yes, I know we know that. Yes, we listen to the GWC. I used to. Then I embarked on a Peter F. Hamilton audiobook on the Bridge Trilogy, and that took up six months. <laughs> it did. Started it in November. Prophecy. Did Prophecy get any votes? Prophecy did not get any votes. Poor Jonas. Yes, poor Jonas. Come Okay, then, we come to the final episode of Season 6, Full Circle. Daniel, buddy, guest starring Michael Shanks. You could see him as a significant guest star. Written by Robert C. Cooper, directed by Martin Wood. And when it was filmed, written and produced, this was the final episode of the season and of the series. Can I make an observation? Given that Daniel wasn't officially in the show, he actually gets more screen time in this season than Janet Fraser. (laughs) That's true. Janet is always there. We know she's there just around the corner. He's around the corner, just dimensionally speaking. This is interesting from the fact that if they did go into a movie, the movie would have gone off this episode. Hmm commented on that when we recorded it but obviously you haven't heard that yet no. no the movie would have been about the battle against Anubis interesting yes because let's face it he comes out of this episode rather well <laughs> I won't say everything goes according to plan but he gets the eye of Ra he destroys Abydos he gets rid of well he doesn't get rid of Daniel but Daniel goes away he doesn't actually destroy Abydos though he just blows up the pyramid well, he finished... I don't know. We see the pyramid get destroyed, but I get the feeling that his plan was to destroy Abydos. I've got a feeling that ship was capable of destroying a planet. Yeah, because in order to save them, didn't she send every one of them? Yeah. I'm sure there must have been more Abydonians further afield than just the pyramid. Or, say, at the, at the very least, the blast, you know, levelled a few hundred square miles. And with all the Naquida that's still on Abydos, it probably have gone up. Hmm. It's not... That's star shape, but okay. Alexis Cruz, playing Skara, returns to this. Of course, uh, he was in the theatrical version of the, sh- the series. Only you. 
in other words, the movie. Yes. Just had to be clear, because Tim Aoney is acting sound right somehow. It's like, you know, they, they made a movie afterwards, but no, uh, the original movie. We didn't see uh, Asuf. They actually got a different leader for the uh, Abedonians, played by Vina Sood. Is it Abedonians? Is it Abedosians? Did the commentary make it clear? I don't know. That's what I just called them. Michael Adam Thwaite as Herak makes a return. Right, uh, yes. Uh, Jack takes great delight in uh, <laughs> insulting him. <laughs> Every chance he gets. Which is a bit surprising when you consider that Jack and Co were holed up in a little secret room under the pyramid and surrounded by Ninja Jaffa and, you know, staff wielding Jaffa. But mm-hmm. Jack's got the Eye of Ra firmly fixed to a brick of C4. Oh, probably plasticine. Probably plasticine, let's be honest. Probably not real C4. Would you trust the Richard Dean Anderson with real C4? Not the way he toys with things, no. <laughs> so it's a prop, I can bang it off a wall. It's a detonator, Jack. What does it do? It blows things up, Jack. How do you use it? Not like that, Jack. Put it down, please, Jack. Take the detonator away from the high explosive, Jack. Oh, come on. This is the guy that was MacGyver. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. And... He could take C4, some gaffer tape and a pencil and make a nuclear bomb. Oh, no. That would just require uh, two elastic bands, a pencil and some tinfoil. <laughs> <laughs> Aluminum foil for American listeners. Full circle, then. Important aspects of the show. Daniel learns that he is an ancient, that the ascended beings are the ancients. Mm-hmm. And he finds a tablet that talks about a lost city that will become important. That they managed to break. I should have. They gave it to Jonas. What can you expect? You know, that's the real reason Jonas probably eventually leaves SG-1. He broke the tablet. Could have been worse. Could have given it to Major Davis. It'd come back as fine powder. <laughs> Oops. No, it wouldn't come back as fine powder. It would have come back as a picture of fine powder in the possession of Anubis. <laughs> Also, Anubis pretty much wiped out the last remnants of the System Lord's fleet. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how many attacks escaped, but it could have been many, because his super weapon really, really did the business. My question is, if you see the ship sort of the far side of the circle from you blowing up, you engage hyperdrive then. You're like, run away! Yeah, but as you've already established the Shafar, I'm exactly the sharpest tools in the box. At the very least... When you surround somebody, do so on more than one plane. Yeah, that's true. You know, make it at least make it difficult for them to shoot you. <laughs> just would have had a spherical sort of thing of force then. It's just easier from a CG perspective. It is. It with the shortest distance between the actual points of Anubis's weapon and the ships. They might have actually had to, you know, animate an extra couple of thousand miles of lightning bolt. Mm-hmm. It all costs money, I suppose. While we don't see Omidisala, Daniel knows she's there. When Daniel faces down Anubis he realises what he is, he's an ascended being as well, who's kind of stuck halfway between ascension and the human plane. Descension. Descension. <laughs> it's got a word as any. As Daniel gathers his energy to fire at Anubis, all the energy blows back, and even though Anubis has basically just got a cowl and a shiny surface, he looks puzzled. <laughs> and surprisingly, when his first prime looks at him in wonder, and you are a great god. He admits it. You know, Gould, do not do that. God, no. If nothing, uh, if me. anything defines Gould, it's towering arrogance. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. The season finally finishes back on Abydos. Scar is there, but there are no other Abydonians because Jack picked up a football, which he took his eyes off. He didn't take his eye off the ball. He kept his eye on the ball. He took his eye off the character. God, we've asked Colin again. Have we? Uh, he'll be back. All the Abydonians have been ascended by Omer de Sala. Daniel's missing. Anubis is riding off into the sunset with the Eye of Ra, and the most powerful weapon system probably exists in this galaxy at this time. Certainly better than anything we've seen the Asgard have got. 
We're not quite sure how good his shields are, but I'm sure we're going to find out. Are they good against little orange things? <laughs> His back. Oh, no, he, dropped. he dropped. Well, as long as everything's still recording, I, I don't mind. Don't do that. Come Okay, the special season six, Indeed Count. Tilk said indeed 16 times as a standalone word and four times within a sentence. Indeed. 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 Come Okay, to summarise the season. Pretty good season, this was. Even without Michael Shanks. It didn't have need in it. <laughs> Always a good season. Some slightly spotty episodes, but in terms of spotty episodes, I mean, do you recall one or two whose names escaped me? Then I was sitting there saying, so oh, come on, can this be over, please? Let's not watch this again. Well, I think you look at it, you think Redemption 1 and 2 were a great start to kick off the season. Mm-hmm. Descent and Frozen, the mythology of the series. Nightwalker's kind of pretty much a standalone episode, even though it aided the building of the Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Abyss was, hey, Michael Shanks is back, and uh, Jack needed a week off, so Shadow Play, that, a one-off, that were a Jonas episode, when you've got to have that a new character. Even with Dean Stockwell, it wasn't a great episode, but it was an interesting episode. I enjoyed it. I liked Dean. The other guys, out-and-out out humorous episode, work, Stargate does humour, they tend to do it right, and... Billingsley is great. Brilliant as Dr. Flox. Billingsley's brilliant in most things he does, to be honest. Yeah, and his missus is in Chuck. Although it's it's sad that uh, we had to have Mike point out that it was Dr. Flox. It's not, it's not as if we had a Star Trek expert on board. I said Flox. Yeah, I've laid it on a plate for you, expecting you to jump right in, and you didn't. <laughs> Which is fine, really, because how many times have we been talking about an episode and then you said, what's his name? And I go, going, uh, 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 uh. We only watched it last week. <laughs> well, that, I wouldn't mind, but you pre-watch the episodes with commentary. I don't. <laughs> Allegiance and Cure, which, interesting, but not groundbreaking episodes. Prometheus introduced the Prometheus. That was a decent episode. A lot of fun. Unnatural Selection, Thor. Don't go wrong with Thor. Thor, buddy. Sight Unseen was disappointing by season six standards. Mm-hmm. Still far better than some of the dodgier episodes in previous seasons. Yeah, yeah. Spoken Mirrors, Paradise Lost, quality episodes. Quality Jack episodes. Metamorphosis, Nerdy, well, hey, goodbye. Great to have known you. <laughs> thanks for coming. Thank, thanks for having other people come. Disclosure, excellent clip show. Mm-hmm. Forsaken, that didn't work for me. I enjoyed it, but... The Changeling, brilliant. Memento, average. Prophecy, as a Jonas episode, average. Full circle. If that would have been the season series finale, I probably wouldn't have been disappointed knowing that there was a TV movie in the works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also nice that they that would have been the last episode, that they finished where the film started. Yeah. Everything centres around Abydos, and even though the, the cartouche and everything's gone, everything that was there, we've still got records of it. It's probably a fitting end for those people, because out of all of them, they were the first to rebel. They started the ball rolling. Yeah. And over the years, they've been downtrodden a bit. And then they get virtually united and end up being thing. Yeah, that's why it's yeah. virtual annihilation rather than actual. <laughs> well, let's just hope they take to Ascension better than Daniel did. Since everybody they know ascended with them, they won't be going around trying to help people. No, but I'm assuming we have some couples ascended, so that could lead to something interesting. Yeah, but you don't know if the ancients, you know, are beyond that. The ancients may have been beyond that, but I don't think the Abelonians were. Yeah, but now they'll be beings of pure energy, won't they? Exactly. Think of many positions you could manage. Yeah, you've got to find something to do on a rainy Sunday afternoon, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Come try ya! Looking at the length of this thing, 
our longest season wrap-up recording. I'm at 2.34.22. It'll shrink. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Uh, when it comes out at 22 minutes, 14 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not editing it, that's all I can say. Oh, it's so much fun. My gratitude knows no end. To be honest, it would save me no end of time if I could just record a podcast and think, I'm just going to let it go. I don't care what it sounds like. But then I listened to it and thought, I've got to take that bit out. I've got to take that bit out. <laughs> oh, I don't like that bit. <laughs> oh, well, I make a rod for my own back. Just for comparisons, when the world did their season six poll, their number one episode was Full Circle, then Abyss, and then Unnatural Selection compared to ours, Abyss, Full Circle, and the other guys. I don't know what that says about Gateworld or Gatecast listeners, but interesting that it were different. Contains the same episodes in a different order. Yeah, out of three, two of them. That's the majority. Your listeners are probably a higher quality. Yes, it's about quality, not quantity. Okay then, folks, this was the Season 6 wrap-up show. And next week, we'll be covering the Season 7 premiere, which... We previewed on the Fallen... Oh, yeah, you did, didn't you? Yeah. Our current participant has tweeted us. Oh, see, well done. <laughs> Multitasking. Colin? What? Say goodbye, Colin. But Alan was still talking. I was getting an echo in my ear. I was just saying you tweeted us under your track news and views ID. Yes, just telling everyone that was finished recording. Mm-hmm. Who's just put five minutes ago and we're done? Thanks for listening. Did it while I thought of it because if I waited. You've got to understand how we record things. <laughs> Not in the right order. Well, mine follows yours then, because it's, on the, it's the same timeline. <laughs> Creating the illusion that we're done. All right. Yes, yeah, You sort of take the illusion that we've done the uh, shop closed in 16 minutes. So. Next week, Season 7 premiere, Fallen. Hope you'll join us for that, and join us for a new season of The Gatecast. I've been Mike. I am Mike. <laughs> was this morning? All the time. <laughs> been Alan this evening, or maybe something else next week. And as last time I looked in the mirror, I was still calling. So, success. We're all each other. Yeah. Oh, God, it's that episode of Farscape. Right. Take care, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Lovely. I see. <laughs> Go out with a coughing feet. Well, yeah. I, I, I... Thank you, Alan. That's just more wick. Right, so you can use that as an end buffer. <laughs> it should be just a wide, multi-spectrum waveform. I just want the excuse to say multi-spectrum. Have to oblige. You've been listening to Gatecast, presented by Alan, Mike and Scott. Visit us at gatecast.facecast.com. Thank you.